structure of the military lends itself pretty well to angry people <laughs> and aggressive people. And so you can hide a lot of that, right? And then you have a rank structure. You have a very clear purpose. You're wearing a uniform that says who you are. So even though you've dealt with a lot of that trauma, um, you can function at a very high level. When you separate out of that, there's a complete loss. There's a loss of identity. Mm-hmm. There's a loss of you know, purpose and focus and direction. And then you start to behave badly. So often what we deal with helping veterans is not the trauma that they've been through. We can help deconstruct that or point to it or whatever. But what we're dealing with are the bad decisions that have been made on the other side of that trauma mm-hmm. to, to cope with the, the loss of identity. Who am I? What am I? Welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast, where men rediscover courageous masculinity. Pull up a chair as we gain strength from the stories of God working in the lives of ordinary men today. These men have discovered that in a world of superficiality and isolation, we need authentic brotherhood to gain strength for the battles we face every day. Brought to you by the ministry of CLC, which challenges men to an uncommon pursuit of Christ. Welcome to Empowered Manhood. Hey guys, welcome back. My name is Mike Hatch and I am your host and I will be joined as usual by my co-host, best-selling author, Chris Bollinger. So today we are speaking with Jeremy Stalnecker, who is the CEO of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to helping America's military warriors and their families who are suffering from the unseen wounds of combat, such as PTSD. As a U.S. Marine Corps veteran, Jeremy definitely understands the challenges that veterans face today as they make the transition out of military service and into civilian life. You'll hear more about Jeremy's military service during his fence post story, but then also in the second half of this interview, you're going to hear a harrowing story, a harrowing experience that Jeremy went through that became the premise of a book that he wrote entitled March or Die moving forward when your world seems out of control. Definitely a topic that many men can identify. I especially did as we as we interacted and interviewed him. Jeremy has also been a pastor in multiple roles, both an associate as well as a senior pastor before taking on his current role as the CEO of Mighty Oaks. Really quick, before we jump into the interview, a couple reminders. First of all, just remember, we are a listener-supported podcast, and so we really, really appreciate your support of CLC as we work to disciple men all over the world. If you'd like to partner with us financially, thank you, first of all. And then secondly, you can go to our homepage at clchq.org, click on the blue donate button on the top right-hand side of the homepage, it'll bring up a second page with a box where you designate how much you would like to give. Then in the drop down menu, click national fund. And then in the comments, make sure you put in there empowered manhood. That way we know that you have found CLC through our podcast. And then lastly, I have published my first ever book entitled Manhood, Empowered by the Light of the Gospel. And man, I cannot wait to get it into your hands. You can go to amazon.com right now to pre-order that. It's really the story behind my own recovery from pornography and the challenges that I faced in the early days of my marriage. 
But then also it draws on over 20 years of experience that I've had discipling men and the truths that I have gleaned along the way that define what I call empowered manhood. All right, guys, let's go ahead and dive in now to our interview, the first half of our interview with Jeremy Stallnecker. Jeremy Stallnecker, welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Dude, been looking forward to this for a long time, man, for a long time. Um, love your your heart uh, behind your ministry, Mighty Oaks, um, and the author of, of three amazing books. Looking forward to, to, to just mentioning some of them, but really having a conversation specifically about your book entitled March or Die. Um, yeah. and just kind of gleaning from, from that, some, uh, some lessons for the guys who are, who listen to our, our podcast. And so I think there's just going to be, it's going to be a really impactful time together. So thank you for, for you investing your time, to, uh, with us. Yeah. So before we jump into, into the kind of the nuts and bolts of the, of the interview, we want to first start with just getting a background about who you are. And in CLC, yep. what we do is we talk about a fence post story where, um, you know, if you imagine a fence along a property, each of those vertical posts that are kind of uh, stuck in the ground are those symbolize yep. the, the most significant moments or people in our lives that make us who we are today. So we'd love to start with just hearing about a few of your fence posts, get to know you a little bit yeah. better. Yeah, I appreciate it. That uh the fence post analogy is great too. I definitely have some moments that I can look back to three or four moments in my life that I don't know, made me who I am. People say that, right? Like that made me who I am. It certainly contributed to who I am. Um, probably the most significant person in my life would be my father. Um, my dad, and my mom, um, been married for a long time and in ministry for most of that time. So growing up, I was raised in a pastor's home. My mom and dad moved from, um, actually from the East Coast to California to start a church. That's how we ended up in California in a small, uh, very rural community here in Southern California. And uh, that was the home that I was raised in. And I, I joke, and it is a joke, uh, like half joking, uh, that the one thing you learn growing up in a pastor's home is that you don't want to be a pastor. That's the, that's the joke I always tell. And, um, it is that's a joke. Great. I wasn't running from God, but, uh, certainly as much as I respected my dad and my mom and the work that they did, uh, starting a church is crazy. And anyone that's done it knows that's the case. And this was the eighties. So the bivocational pastor, that was the model. There was no support. So my mom, uh, drove over an hour to go to a job so she could support our family. My dad worked nights. Then he'd come home. He homeschooled me and my sisters and pastored a church. I mean, that was our wow. life. And so um, wow. as much as I respect that, and I look back on that now and think, man, I, I learned so much from that experience. Um, part of that was knowing that that was not my calling and uh, really felt for a lot of reasons, felt like God was leading me into the military. And I did feel mm -hmm. like it was a calling. At 14, this might be one of those big fence posts, right? At 14, uh, I remember talking to my dad and saying, hey, dad, would it be okay <laughs> if I didn't go into the ministry? And he said what you're supposed to say. He said, son, do whatever God wants you to do. That's the right. right thing. Do whatever God wants you to do. That's what pastor dads are supposed to say. And I said, I'm glad to hear you say that because I believe God wants me to enlist in the Marine Corps. And he said, no, there's no way God wants you to do that. That's not <laughs> possibly what God wants you to do. Um, that was his initial response. Uh, but we talked in, you know, my dad, uh, not a military guy, but certainly loves our country. And 
really did want me to do what I believe God wanted me to do. So he put some things in front of me, uh, college being one of those things and a couple of other things I had to do, um, but uh, said he would support me, of course, and my family did. So I went to college. I was uh, went through a commissioning program. I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps and out of uh, out of college. So I um, I pastored for a long time. I don't have a Bible degree. Um, I've just learned a lot of things uh, along the way. And you know, part of that was going to college. I got a criminal justice degree, was commissioned as a second lieutenant, became uh, an infantry officer in the United States Marine Corps, and uh, did a lot of different things. But uh, probably the big fence post, if there's a big one in my life, was uh, my final deployment in the Marine Corps to Iraq. We went to uh, Kuwait in 2003. Um, everyone listening, I'm sure is familiar with the history of that. 9-11 happened. We went to uh, Afghanistan. The United States went to Afghanistan. Um, the question of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and all of that was happening at the same time. We deployed as a battalion, uh, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, as part of the 1st Marine Division to Kuwait in January of 2003. Sat on the border of Kuwait and Iraq for a long time. And uh, eventually March 19th, the night of March 19th into March 20th, went into Southern Iraq. We uh, were the Marine Infantry Battalion that breached the berm between Iraq and Kuwait, moved into the Southern part of the country, secured the first objective of the war. Uh, I always mention the first KIA of the war, Shane Childers was one of our lieutenants and uh, he was killed in the the first day of the war there. And, uh, Man, just a crazy, crazy time, as you can imagine. I was uh, 25 years old and in, in a lot of ways, kind of living the dream, um, to coin a phrase, that was what I had pointed my entire life toward. I had already made the decision to get out of the Marine Corps because of you know some other life things that were happening. And I was going to go to work at a church, of all things. And so, you know, kind of how God brings things back around. But that decision was already made. And then we went into uh, Iraq. This was the last deployment. When I came home, I knew I'd be getting out, but uh, crazy, crazy time. Um, from southern Iraq, we made our way to Baghdad. The Battle of Baghdad on April 10th was also our infantry mm-hmm. battalion. Um, just a crazy experience. And then we retrograded home, and I, I left the Marine Corps and uh, <laughs> uh, went to work at the church that we had been attending. Um, God used that church in our family and in my life personally and in my my wife's, you know, our lives together. Mm-hmm. And uh thought it would be a good transition. It was horrible. I, I hmm. really, really struggled with identity issues and um, trying to contextualize somehow um, what I had done, where I had been, what I was doing now, where I was going. And I was a mess. I was a mess at home. Um, not physically abusive, but abusive in every other way. We had two small kids. Mm. Um, oh, and so I'd work at church and then I'd go home and uh, take out every frustration I had on my family. Um, but I was doing that at church too, other, other staff members. And I was just extremely difficult to deal with uh, to the point that eventually my pastor who loved me <laughs> and cared for my family said, this is just not working and you're going to have to go somewhere else. Um, but you need to make a decision. And so uh, took some time and made a decision, took about a week. Uh, he actually sent my wife and I away <laughs> for a week uh, by ourselves. And God used that time to help me understand that the problem was not the rest of the world, that the problem was me. I needed to um, learn and grow and understand some things, but but most importantly, take responsibility for who I was and take responsibility for how I was behaving and what I was doing. 
stop looking over my shoulder, stop looking back to what was and uh, start moving forward in my own life. And so God used that. I actually stayed at that church. I was there for a total of five years and then ended up pastoring a church up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And and in all of that, um, I I felt like I had moved away from the military, moved away from the Marine Corps. That was actually a big part of moving forward for me was just I'm thankful for what happened back there, but I, I can't hang on to that. And 10 years after I left the Marine Corps, um, I met uh, Chad Robichaux, who uh, he and his family founded the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He had just accepted Christ. He knew what he wanted to do. He's super motivated. Anyone who knows him knows he's super motivated and very passionate and uh, good about good at getting people together. Um, but when we met, I was pastoring a church, and he said, I'm doing this thing, and I, I'm trying to put it all together. Would you help me? And uh, we both had the Marine Corps in common and some other people in common that we knew. So I started working with uh, with Chad and and getting veterans to come to this thing that we were doing. And uh, in the beginning, we were kind of like begging them to attend. Um, but over time, uh, that changed to the point mm-hmm. that a few years later, I resigned the church and uh, came to work at Mighty Oaks full time. And I've been doing that ever since. So, yeah, it's been been a pretty crazy journey. I, I think the the biggest thing I try to communicate through all of that is um, don't ever diminish what God is doing in your life right now. Because you have no idea how he is going to bring those pieces back around. Uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, that's all I had ever wanted to do. Had no desire to be in ministry. And then God took me into ministry. Um, I was serving in a military community, so it worked. And then I pastored in the San Francisco Bay Area, not exactly a military community. I had no idea how any of that was going to connect to my past. I felt like that was in my past. I never go back to it. And then God brought the ministry and the military pieces together in a very real way that I live every day. So um, I'm grateful for it. Learned a lot of lessons along the way. But um, yeah, there are some some big fence posts in my life that I, I look back on and think, man, I have no idea where I'd be without those. Wow. All right. So I know, Jeremy, I when know you Chris were... has a question, but yeah. before you go, just no, real quick, no, just wanted okay. to say... Jeremy, uh, and this probably goes maybe without saying, but I, it needs to be said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for your service. Mm. And sure. it means a lot. Yeah. And we really appreciate the sacrifice mm. you've, you made on so many levels, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. So thank mm. you. Okay. Go ahead, Chris. No. Jeremy, when you were confronted or challenged by your pastor um, in Southern California, um, yeah. You know, some things changed for you. You went away for a week and then you, you came back, but you stayed in that church. Can you talk a little bit about how, what changes took place? And do you feel like uh, you got healthy pretty quickly when it came to your transition out of the military? Or do you feel like that was a process that lasted for a long time, even when you went to the Bay Area? Yeah, it's it's funny. So that's a great question. <laughs> I used to tell that story that I just told you and say, you know, it took me about a year to begin moving forward again and to get my feet back under me. My wife and I, we speak together sometimes uh, at marriage conferences and those kind of things. And so I was telling that story at one of these conferences and she was standing next to me or sitting next to me and she corrected me. She's like, it took you 10 years to get past that. <laughs> now we started moving forward right. after that year. But it took a long time, and and I'm very very thankful for my wife. We've been married for almost 25 years. Um, I, I don't know where I would be without her. 
and her influence in my life, but the grace of God working through her, uh, you know, we're in a great place in our marriage. We have two adult kids, two teenage kids, but it's only been in the last probably four or five years, maybe six years that she has talked to me about some of the things that she was dealing with, even while I was pastoring and just how angry I was, how frustrated I was with everything. And I would continue to take things out on her. I, I mean, to the point where she would tell me as you're preaching sometimes, you know, as a pastor, um, you're preaching on marriage or relationships or, you know, the Christian life. And she would talk about listening to that and how angry she would get sitting there because she knew what I was saying. She also knew that it was true from the Bible, <laughs> but that I was not living it. And I was trying to tell other people what to do and not living that. And this was, you know, that was well after um, that first year. Um, I, I mean, she's talked about times while I was pastoring. So this is, you know, five, six, seven, eight years past the Marine Corps where she thought, I just need to take the kids and, and go somewhere because I just can't, I can't do this. And so, yeah, it's a very long process. And, you know, I think it's a process that probably never ends, but it is one that the Holy Spirit working in you can make you aware of so that your behavior, and I, I make this statement a lot, there is never an excuse for bad behavior. Maybe trauma is a part of your life, and there are some real aspects to that. We could talk about, you know, the physio physiology of that and the changes that happen in your brain and all that stuff. And, and none of that is, you know, we shouldn't diminish any of that. It's real. But it doesn't excuse bad behavior or sinful behavior. And um, that's, I think, the process is the Holy Spirit works in you to, you know, keep you from excusing that behavior and keep you from moving into that behavior and making you aware of when you are doing those things that would not be certainly as a Christian, what you should be doing. So it's a long process and it's a, it's a fight. Um, the reason that first year was so significant was because I was kind of in free fall and I finally had someone at the moment, it was my pastor step in and say, this cannot continue. And he was the very first person to say that to me. And I had been home for, you know, almost a year. Um, and then I had some other men in the church. I, I've, I've told the story of uh, a, a guy in our church. He's a deacon in our church. I'm on the deacon board now at the same church. I'm back at the same church actually now. And um, I mean, one day him pulling me aside, I was a staff member at the church. He's a man in the church. He pulled me aside and he's like, look, man, I don't know what's going on in your life, but something's got to change because the way you're talking to people, even in the church, it's just not right. And so having some men just insert themselves into my life. Uh, men who I knew cared about me. It wasn't about them. It wasn't an ego thing. It wasn't in public. It, it was them pulling me aside saying, I, I don't know what's happening here, but we got to work on something. And if you need help, I'll help you, but something's got to change. That was a very significant moment for me where I was able to begin moving forward. But to answer your question, I just took like 10 minutes answering it. <laughs> it was a long, long process to get there. And I, I don't think it's ever over. I think you continue to move forward. Did you know, when did you know that you had been through trauma? I mean, when did you clearly know that you were, because you, you knew things were wrong, you weren't treating people well. I mean, you could see a lot of the symptoms, but what helped you get to the core of what was really going on? So this was 2003. Uh, conversations around trauma and particularly post-traumatic stress and those conversations were not being had. In fact, if you had asked me then, is, is PTSD real? I would have, and I did many times say, no, absolutely not. It's made up. Um, so it was a long time and, and I'm still trying to figure out some of that, right? Like 
some of those traumatic moments and how they impact me and how they have impacted me. And, um, but what I knew I was struggling with at that moment was, was my identity. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so often people who have endured trauma, that's, you know, the trauma may have caused the problem, but what they're struggling with is their identity. Who am I? Mm -hmm. Um, am, am I that traumatic event? Am I that situation or, where have I come from? A lot of folks in the military, particularly combat veterans, they deal with this trauma in combat, but they're part of a tribe that has experienced similar trauma, have been mm-hmm. through similar things. There's kind of a built-in ability to cope or process. Uh, the structure of the military lends itself pretty well to angry people <laughs> and aggressive people. And so you can hide a lot of that, right? Right. And then you have a rank structure, you have a very clear purpose, you're wearing a uniform that says who you are. So even though you've dealt with a lot of that trauma, um, you can function at a very high level. When you separate out of that, there's a complete loss. There's a loss of identity. Mm-hmm. There's a loss of you know purpose and focus and direction. And then you start to behave badly. So Often what we deal with helping veterans is not the trauma that they've been through. We can help deconstruct that or point to it or whatever. But what we're dealing with are the bad decisions that have been made on the other side of that trauma mm-hmm. to, to cope with the, the loss of identity. Who am I? What am I? And so, you know, even in our program, our, our focus is understanding that God created you. And if you'll move into that purpose for which he created you, your trauma doesn't have to have a hold on you anymore. So to me personally, um, it was many, many years before I even started thinking of trauma as it related to me. But what I knew I was struggling with was a complete loss of identity. Mm -hmm. I I, I joke about this, but I was leading Marines in combat. And then less than a month later, trying to get volunteers at church to clean the bathroom on Saturday night before the services on Sunday morning. And... (laughs) I mean, that was my life now, right? right? I was sitting in staff meetings with guys who I now respect, but at the time I certainly had no respect for because right. they went to Bible college. That's all they knew. Now they're working at church. And, and I mean, I lose my mind like in a staff meeting, like yelling at guys because it was just like, what are, what are we even doing here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I had no idea what it was to be a man, what it was to be a husband and a father and, and, Hmm. certainly a, a Christian, any of those things. Um, now, thankfully, I had the foundation of faith that I needed. I had the right people around me. And so I was able to move through that quickly and get, you know, the ground underneath me again quickly. Um, but yeah, I, that that was my struggle. And I think probably is a big struggle for most men is the identity piece. So you mentioned it several times, moving forward. Um, and the subtitle of your book, March or Die, is moving forward when your world seems out of control. Um, so I, I want to dive into that a little bit more, that idea and kind of, you know, dissect it a little bit, but before we do real quick, so here's, so I was in the air force, did not see the combat like you did. Okay. I was, in fact, after nine 11, I was activated right here. I was in the national guard. Um, Mm. and they, it's different than active duty, of course. So they activated sure. me to the base here in Pittsburgh while some other guys went overseas. That way I could continue to go to school. I was in college at the time. Uh, so I'd go, I'd yeah, do the night shift and then 
go to school during a day. So it was a very, it, it was not like what you and so many others experienced over there. One thing though, that I, I wonder if this is, has any place, uh, I don't know if this relates or not, but when I was in ba- after basic training, I did a split option thing where I didn't do tech school right away. I came back for a few months and then went off to tech school mm. after that. Yep. Um, but coming back directly from basic training was, was a crazy transition because, um, and again, not comparing it to, to combat sure. and coming back, yeah. but just, but just looking around and seeing and, and feeling like the whole world is so lazy. I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> yeah, how do people yeah. like, I felt like on a totally different level and like almost, I don't want to say I looked down on people, but I, I was like, why? Like people really are like, it, I, I noticed a huge gap there, you know, yeah. I'm curious if, if there was something similar that plays out Now, granted couple maybe that kind of attitude because you're dealing with life and death situations all the time when you're in Afghanistan, right? And so the the stakes are super high. So maybe it lends itself to you being a jackass, you know what I mean? To people yeah. making sure yeah. that they obey. I'm just curious, does that does that speak at all to, to what you experienced coming back? Was there any element of that? I'm just curious. Yeah. Your perspective on everything changes. And so I think on on several levels. One Dealing with the other staff guys, right? I, I talk about this and I joke about it, but why was I so angry with them? Because they just didn't care. Like they didn't take, yep. they did care about what they were doing. But to me, here's a story. <laughs> so I came back from Iraq. Um, I got out of the Marine Corps. A lot of the Marines that I served with came back with me. And then seven months later, they were in Fallujah. So the first battle of Fallujah mm-hmm. in Iraq Really, really bad battle. Uh, some of the Marines that I had uh, led, served with, uh, were killed. And I found out about it um, through some mutual friends and some guys that I knew that were serving there. And I remember sitting in my pastor's office. Um, we're getting ready for a staff meetings. So everybody's kind of sitting around. And that was heavy on me, right? I felt like maybe I had abandoned them. I should have been there. I knew these guys. I cared for them. I trained them. I took them to combat. I brought them home. So this is heavy on me. And so I shared that. I'm like, man, I just found out this happened, whatever. And there was this response of, wow, yeah, that's that's really rough. And then we got right back to the agenda of the meeting. I mean, there wasn't, <laughs> you know, two beats oh. between what I said and what we were doing. And, and I at the moment, I thought, like, you guys have no idea what right. real life is like. Well, what they had no idea what, about was what combat was like, what the military, and they shouldn't have. That, that was unjust for me to think that they should understand that. But from my mm. perspective, the biggest thing that was going on in the world was not whatever we were talking about in that meeting, but what was happening 9,000 miles away in Iraq. And so, mm. yeah, I, I just think it changes your perspective on on, on everything. And, yeah, you know, you can work through that and you have to work through that. But part of what we also need to understand is my experience is not the only experience there is. And one of the things that we talk about with uh, men and women who are dealing with trauma is trauma is not reserved for the combat veteran. Trauma is, is a human condition. There are people who are in much, much more difficult situations than you are. And there needs to be a compassion and a grace for what other people have gone through. So a big part of the processing and learning in this is recognizing that my story is mine. I am responsible for what I have been through and what I've done and what I do. 
but there needs to be a compassion. And hopefully there is, if you've been hurt, you've carried some of that, a compassion for others who are also struggling in, in whatever the struggles of their life are. And so, yeah, I think having your perspective changed is a, <laughs> yeah, it can be good or bad, but, but certainly it, it causes you to look at other people in your world very differently. Yep. That makes sense. So, okay. So let's, I want to dive into March or die a little bit because, um, sure. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's quite a title. <laughs> you know what I mean? It definitely uh, <laughs> kind of, kind of smacks you in the face a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. You're, you're offering me a, a quite an ultimatum right here. So can you right. unpack a little bit the, the main idea uh, in the book? And um, yep. And because I know it's more than a book. It's also, I think maybe you even have workbooks I'm looking for or looking at here maybe. But I know you speak about it a lot. So yeah, um, yeah unpack that idea a little bit for us. Yeah. So the, the book March, March or Die, it actually, I wrote a blog many, many years ago um, just talking about... All right, guys, that is all the time we have left for this half of our interview with Jeremy Stallnecker. But make sure you check back with us for the second half of our interview, which will drop this Friday. And he will be sharing about an absolutely harrowing experience that he had while he was in the Marines that will, man, it will blow your mind. But, uh, but it will definitely make you want to go get his book, March or Die. That is for sure. So come back for the second half of our interview this Friday. Until next time, keep living empowered.